think it's time to launch. Oh, man. You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your host, Abraham. And I'm your co-host, Ryan O. And we're all alone in our studio here today, although we have brand new, beautiful, wonderful microphones I'm so excited about. And Ryan has already learned now, hopefully, to put his mouth near the microphone so you can hear him. I am trying Ryan 2.0 voice on the podcast today, so I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, boom. I already enjoy it, so... Um, Now, before we start actually talking about what we're going to talk about, I need to float a question out to our listeners and ask any of you, are you feeling hungry right now? Because what if I told you that I had been playing a subliminal message during the introduction music that was telling you that you are hungry and you need to buy food? (laughs) All right. So let's go through some questions really quick before we do anything. uh, You can start. All right. So, can noises so weak that we can't detect them actually cause us to buy more soda? Can uh, they cause us to worship the devil? Or, on the personal side, lose weight? Can they enlarge your breasts? Can they help us learn a new language? Man, wouldn't it be nice if that could be the case? And actually, side note, once uh, listened to a recording of like a page and a half that I had to listen to, so it wasn't always subliminal, but I tried sleeping and listening to it. I've done that. Yeah, it didn't work. No. <laughs> we can't, I actually tried something similar with a song so I could learn all the lyrics to it uh, without actually reading them because that's how lazy I was. Um, but anyway, uh, a lot of money has been spent going into this um, on advertising in hopes of accomplishing this mission of being able to cause people to do X um, and that either this is a company whose whole organization is designed around like, I'm going to get you to change your behavior and you're paying me to do that. Or I'm going to get you to change your behavior. And as a result of that, you're going to purchase my product more. Uh, Either way, um, a lot of money really has gone into this research of how do we capitalize on subliminal messaging and what is it? Does it work? How does it work? That sort of thing. So that's what we're talking about today. And also, before we go into this, it's probably worth pointing out to you, I was totally messing with you. We weren't actually playing any subliminal messages. Um, but, (laughs) But Ryan's trying to do it right now. Um, but this is wrapped up in this idea of, uh, suggestibility. So if you were feeling hungry, that might suggest that you were suggestible, um, which capitalizes on that Barnum effect that we talked about where I can sort of lead you to where I want you to be. And then I can sort of rope you in by telling you things that, um, are in line with what you already are now expecting, um, which is kind of a tease for what we're going to be talking about. So. Let's just start by, help me out, man. Uh, what is subliminal messaging? With no further ado, well, um, I've always looked at it as this idea that hidden messages can actually cause or uh, produce some sort of cause or changes in our behavior. Okay. And the the hidden part is like they're, they're kind of flashed or they're kind of like dropped at a really subconscious uh, threshold, whatever that is for your senses. Yeah. Um, and so the, the term itself, subliminal, comes from Latin sub, which means under, you have subway and 
various other things. Um, and then liminal um, or lemon, which means uh, threshold. And so the whole idea of subliminal means below the threshold of consciousness. And there's sort of this gray area where it's not completely unconscious, where it's so weak it can't be detected, but it's so weak that you can't tell whether or not you're detecting it. And so as you said, it's that really quick flash. It's something that's really quiet. Um, and there's some other types that I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Yeah, so it's supposed to impact your behavior in some sort of meaningful way, right? Yeah, um, and it can be to either cause you to do something, to stop doing something, and even some of these people have purported that it can cause like a change in your overall physiology, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Like I said, the whole like, and there is legitimately people who have tried to use subliminal messaging to enhance their breast size, and um, like that that would be amazing if something that was just a sound going into your ear because these were like auditory tapes would for some reason cause a growth hormone to trigger your breasts growing. That's crazy. In my opinion, um, that's just like, that seems like quite a stretch. So we're talking about these, these signals that are so, so weak that they're just below that threshold of perception. So they're just incredibly weak. You can barely tell that they're there. So I like to call this the homeopathy of psychology is subliminal messages. Um, so let's get into some examples of this. Where uh, where do people talk about there being subliminal messages? Man, um, first one that comes to mind that I didn't prep for was anything that's on a dollar bill, it seems. Oh, yeah. It's Illuminati. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. All, all up on that. Um, I'm going to pull some more from the advertising area, I guess, because I've been looking a lot in advertising and sales. So um, and the degree to which these are like mm, supposed to like really influence you in like mischievous ways or something like that is up for debate, right? Um, but they're there. So one of them's there was in 1978 to 1993, the Milwaukee Brewers and the baseball the baseball team. Their logo was a mitt with a ball in the center, but it actually made an M and a B. Hmm. Interesting, right? Yeah, that is really interesting. Out of which it's like the subliminal message or just really good advertising and kind of brand design. I'm not really sure which. I actually totally didn't know about that one. Yeah, some other ones that I think people have maybe heard of is this idea if you play a record backwards, then you might hear what sounds like words telling you to do something or some other message that's like suggesting a a system of a belief or some purchasing habit, something like that. And it's what's actually interesting about this, and I think this is a different topic, is that when you do this and you play a record backwards, people, unless you tell them what to listen for, will actually hear different things. And uh, so what this really depends on when people are trying to convince you that it is subliminal messaging or that there's some message inside of it is they'll tell you what you're supposed to hear first, and then you'll be able to pick it up. It's sort of like those, if you see, um, look at a picture. Uh, Have you ever seen those where they do like, they show you a picture and then they flash white and then they show you the same picture, but something's different and you have a hard time telling what's changed about the picture. And, but if I tell you, look over here on the picture, then as soon as it changes, you can more quickly identify what's going on. It's a similar thing with this uh, subliminal messaging is that if I sort of let you know, like be looking for this, then it's much more likely for you to sort of notice it. But that's going the opposite direction of it existing below the threshold, right? So we'll actually come back to what is going on with that. Um, But another one, and I actually found this one, if you just do like a Google search of subliminal messaging, there's some pretty weird stuff that comes up. But um, (laughs) one of what I thought was kind of fun was 
um, and this is going to be really common across a lot, a lot of them, is it was a picture of an alcoholic beverage and it was like the bottle or a can or something next to a glass and in the glass were these ice cubes and in the ice cubes, you can sort of, if you look hard enough, it looks like it sort of spells out the word sex on it. Now, the X is mostly missing, so it kind of spells it S-E and you have to apply the sex, I guess. It's a gin brand, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. There's there's another one that has a sex reference, which was SFX, uh, SFX, said a little too fast, magazine. Oh, okay. So it was a sci-fi magazine started around 1995, and they've been purported to um, strategically place people that are attractive with their heads kind of covering on the the front cover of the magazine like the lower bottom part um of the of f the f just yeah, right to i got that like that yeah <laughs> that's pretty funny um and another one that's actually similar and like i said this appears i think in the maybe the majority but at least many of these instances of um of of subliminal messaging is there was a uh, Skittles package that came out and um, it said explosion on the package, but it just happened to be that one of the Skittles was placed relatively close to the word explosion. And of course on a little Skittle candy, there's an S. So it looks like it says sexplosion, <laughs> which um, I thought is, was pretty funny. Um, there's Tostitos, the brand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you zoom in on the TIT, of Tostitos, it actually looks like a family and kind of like two people kind of like opening their hands. Does oh, that okay. make sense? So it's supposed to imply like family unity through yeah, eating or Tostitos? Yeah, like events or whatnot, right? Okay, I got um, that. Interesting one. There's Spartan golf clubs. It looks like someone's swinging the club, but it also looks like a Spartan, oh, right? That's what clever. are you going for here? FedEx, their logo, the E and the X actually make an arrow because they push the typeface so close to each other. Right. So are they trying to imply that we deliver really fast, right? Yeah, something like that. Maybe. Amazon's logo has the smile. If right. You ever notice, kind of cheeky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, so yeah, I, I, obviously, I don't know if these are actually subliminal messages. I don't think they really fall under there so much. It's just like really good branding. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, but. that's. It, I think it's hard sometimes to pick those things apart. Although I think obviously some of these, the gin brand probably, I mean, it's possible they were, but probably weren't trying to say like sex is associated with booze. If you drink our booze, you'll be having more sex. Um, and I think that, that probably almost is certainly not what Skittles was going for. Um, although again, it's possible, I suppose. I, I didn't bother to try and ask them. Yeah, those are the... Uh, some of those examples where it shows up where it seems to be that it's telling you a different kind of message. Whereas with the, uh, the FedEx, when you were talking about, it seems to be more just sort of promoting what their overall values are in their company, which is, you know, it's fine. Um, and another one, this was kind of fun as I saw this skit. it's a little bit old now, but there's a magician, I believe he's in the UK. His name is Darren Brown and he had hired someone. Did you, did you see this by any chance? No. Okay. So he hired someone to draw up an advertisement and he, so he brought in these people from an advertising agency and he told them like, I want, like, I want to open up a chain of taxidermy stores and I want you to draw up an advertisement for them. And he says it needs a name, a logo and some kind of slogan. And he has already drawn up his own and he's done like two or three versions and he has it sitting on an envelope that's on the table and he puts like a rock on top of it or something. So they can't get to it. And, um, and he just said, I want to, you know, see how we compare. And then he gives them an hour or something. And then they come up with their own design logo and slogan for these taxidermy stores. And then they reveal them and he reveals his and they're almost completely identical. 
Bum, bum, bum. I know. And then he explains that what he had done is when they had they had gotten a taxi for them to bring them over to their um, the place where they were meeting to do this is they had put the symbols that he was that he had drawn. They were just all over the place. There were people walking by that had it on their T-shirt. It was in windows. It was just like hun- maybe not hundreds, but dozens of examples of parts of the logos he wanted them to incorporate. And his explanation then was that he had driven so much of this into their subconscious that they were then likely to use those in the development of the product that they were designing. And he was also sort of saying that he was turning advertising on its head since they used some of these tricks. And just to clarify, some of them maybe try and use some of these tricks, but we'll get to the fact that actually many of them kind of don't. Um, and so, yeah. So there's a lot of different types of subliminal messages, right? Uh, well, there's three that are discussed that I found. Did you find more than that? No. Okay. Um, so the, the three that I found were that there was auditory and, uh, so, uh, that it's like you hear it being played through music or it's being played through speakers or something like that. And then the other one, which is visual. And we already talked about, those are some examples of things where you, the logos or they're on packaging, that sort of thing. And then the last one, um, and this may have actually even been made up by the person whose website I was looking at on this was called Backmash. And that was the example of music where it's actually something that's backwards and then you're supposed to not only do you not detect that it's there <laughs> because it's subliminal, but it's backwards. So you have to also decode it and do it the right direction to get the message. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, so and there there are probably some other types. I actually did see that other people talked about um, some other types, but these were like sort of the big three that were discussed as these auditory visual and these backmash, which is a type of auditory, but it's like a reverse decoding thing. Yeah. Cool. So that kind of segues nicely into our history of this. And I was digging around and found that it was really popularized as subliminal messaging in a 1957 book entitled The Hidden Persuaders by Vance Packard. And the book detailed a study of movie theaters. I think it was in New Jersey or somewhere back in that area. I actually thought it was in the Midwest, like Denver. I could actually be, I don't remember. Clearly we don't know. Yeah, we don't know about that one. (laughs) Um, It's somewhere in the U.S. And uh, they were apparently using subliminal commands to increase the sales of popcorn and Coca-Cola at their concession stands. Um, However, the study was, some people claim fabricated. It looks like it was overextended. It was what I would say, got really excited and kind of went way too fast with the potential effects of this sort of stuff. Well, either, her, either way, um, James Vacari uh, later admitted that it was, you know, overextended or fabricated a little beyond what actually happened. Actually, so he had reported like astronomical increases in their sales and that um, it was pretty much entirely exaggerated. Um, and I, I don't know if he ever said that it was completely false, but he said, yeah, it was my company was failing and I wanted to drum up business and um, I, you know, exaggerated the results of this. So, but what's interesting is that, um, that book, the hidden persuaders was enormously popular. This got picked up by a lot of people. It was a bestseller in like every category of bestseller. It was, uh, really, really well received and it was. So yeah, it appears it was during the cold war. Maybe that, uh, might've led to some influence as to why this was maybe a, a good bestseller, right? Yeah. This idea of, um, I guess propaganda. And yeah. things like that, how to sort of control people. It does it does make sense, but yeah, that w- that's like an excuse. There's still a lot of reasons to have propaganda going on today. Right? Sure, yeah, okay, that totally. Just saying that I think that that maybe would have been well received by people who wanted to use propaganda to try and 
you know, affect people and their behavior and change their minds about things. Uh, but yeah, it was a super successful book based entirely on this fabricated story and, uh, um, but really nevertheless persuaded people and hasn't really left our culture since then, which is kind of interesting. Um, but so let's go ahead and, uh, I think the next important thing is then discuss how how we understand subliminal messaging with respect to pop psychology because I've sort of been teasing this idea of how it works, but let's really dig into it. So I've read around and apparently there's you know hundreds of studies that kind of look at this area, but when you really dive into it, it's they're talking a lot about awareness of perceiving and perception mm-hmm. um, is what a lot of it falls under, and so it's tricky to make sense of. I only found one that was like really trying to like recently directly replicate what was going on in that original study. I think it was from 2006. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, But everything that could potentially fall under perception, I think is what people kind of allude to as some of the basic research in this area. So it's hard to, I don't know, sort out. Okay. So subliminal perception kind of falls under this larger category of what sort of cognition or behaviors going on and, in the moment and it starts to kind of fall into this area of like unconscious cognition and there's a lot of things that go into this so it could be the degree to which we perceive things in noisy environments or crowded rooms it could also be things that we're kind of doing or noticed as we're like doing other tasks so maybe like I'm driving and like can I identify the little details on the drive home of what happened and so my perception all this this literature is there's a lot of different interesting things to look at area of like unconscious cognition and a lot of people research it from that angle and one issue I kind of have with that is like yeah there's hundreds of hundreds of research studies on this topic but they're all very different they're not necessarily all looking at subliminal messaging so I think that's one thing that I kind of picked up that gets purported a little too much Um, so an example is like they'll clump things that are like identifying uh, different noises in crowded environments or loud places really similar to things like when you're the degree to which you identify things that are maybe novel or change on your drive home um, or the original study, right? That we just talked about, like all those are kind of clumped under one. And for me, that doesn't quite, that's not, those aren't the same phenomena. Yeah. It seems like it's, it starts to confuse this idea of just simple perception and, um, um, and then this idea of subliminal messaging where it's, um, difficult to tell what's going on, but it's not that there's an attempt to really change someone's behavior necessarily in a way that they don't know that it's going on, which is, seems to be what is more what subliminal um, messaging is about. And uh, so, but it is interesting. And I mean, they are related, these ideas of looking at, you know, uh, one of the things they look at in perception is whether or not only parts of the message are understood or the entire message. Um, and then what's to, uh, inside of that, simpler parts of the message or is the, uh, you know, only certain keywords or sounds or, you know, visual parts of it, you know, what's remembered, what, what has the effect. And so I can see how it's related, but it does seem that it artificially inflates this idea of like, there's all this research on subliminal messaging. Well, I mean, there is some, there is a lot of research on it, but the vast majority of research that I think it's attributed to being subliminal messaging is simply on perception itself. Yeah, so I kind of found two different schools of thought on this. Okay. So one of them argues that only the simpler features of unconscious signals are actually perceived. Um, However, the majority of the research um, done to date has tended to test only for simpler features of cognition rather than testing for, like, complete comprehension. 
The second school of thought argues that the unconscious cognition is comprehensive and that much more is perceived than can actually be verbalized. Oh, I see. And so I those know. are like almost reverse of each other. Yeah, right? So one of them saying that you only pick up little bits and the other one saying that you pick up everything, but you don't necessarily know how much you pick up. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is it would be in the second one, I think it's difficult to test to say, okay, so we don't know exactly how much you actually registered but how am I going to know how much you registered if you don't know and there's no measurable change in your behavior? Like It seems like the only I could only speculate that you picked up a lot more and I wouldn't. there would be no way to actually know whether or not that, that occurred. So, yeah, uh, Interesting, right? Yeah. I don't know. Let's, let's move on to okay. sales and advertising. So I jumped into a little bit of sales and advertising perspectives. I wouldn't say as much as the research in this area, um, but like kind of where do like thought leaders land right now? Yeah. And it looks like the current consensus is just kind of like, in marketing professionals and such, that subliminal advertising is is counterproductive. Yeah, so it actually not only does it not necessarily accomplish your goal, it can do kind of the opposite. It can do harm, yeah. So the idea is that uh, it can be ineffective, but it can be really ineffective if you actually get caught doing it, and then you have to do all the all the damage control on your brand. Yeah, and there's actually, I think as a related point to that, there's been some research lately to indicate that really large-scale comp- conspiracies are so unlikely to be able to maintain because just the more people you have, the more likely it is that someone's going to say something that reveals the cons- the underlying conspiracy that like they really only can be contained in smaller groups. And if you have something that's that large a scale where you have an entire marketing department or entire company um, or, you know, any amount of people who might be in on this, then it's, um, it's, it's going to come out like you're going to get caught. And if you're then caught, then that's really bad for your brands. Like that just looks bad. So it's counterproductive in that way. And the other way that it's counterproductive we'll get to is that the effect of where it might actually work is, um, is a relatively weak effect, which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you might be spending a lot of money and resources on this subliminal, uh, subliminal, <laughs> the subliminal snowman on subliminal messaging where um, the the outcome is is not very robust at all. Like it might not even be there. But I think I'm skipping ahead a little bit. That subliminal uh, slip you just had was actually... So in the 2000 campaign with Bush and... Who was it, Gore? Yeah, Gore. Um, There was a a bureaucrat... uh, I think it was a bureaucrat uh, like related piece of media that bush put out like on the tv and he took the left just the rats up and the idea was kind of like linking to the democratic party oh i see countered with it he literally said it the same way you just said it on accident oh yeah kind of funny (laughs) um all right so so let's dig into where there is some hard research on looking at uh subliminal messages and how they uh how they affect people's uh habits especially with respect to like purchasing behavior Okay, so I looked at and I found one study that was trying to really zoom in on this, and it was at the University of Utrecht, and I do not know exactly where that is. There was some social psychologists, Kremens, Kloss, and Strobe, it looks like, and the claim is, is that they did manage to make subliminal advertising itself work in strict laboratory conditions, provided a series of limiting factors are in place. Now... What they did is they, they had two different studies they looked at. They were largely doing a measure of um, the likelihood through like a survey if someone was more or less likely as a result of this to actually 
um, these subliminal messages to actually like engage in drinking and whatnot. And there's a lot of details in here. There's just a few that I think to highlight that were important. And that was they were trying to increase the choice of people choosing Lipton iced tea. They choose Lipton iced tea because it is claimed that if you don't have a brand image, it's already recognized. And then it's unlikely that you're going to get anybody to go buy that. So All right. it's kind of like caveat one. Yeah, no, that, no, that's a really important one, I think. And I just want to restate that um, just to make sure it's really clear is that what they you have to do in order for the subliminal messaging to work is you have to already know what the product is and have some familiarity with it in order to be persuaded by its um the message that they're putting in there yes now and it it only works if they could get people to be thirsty beforehand or they increase the effect of it so if they give you salty foods beforehand right smart then they'd be able to increase it so maybe the subliminal message is eat these crackers. <laughs> so they yeah. Buy so, more of our drink. so if they offered crackers before, it was something like that. And then they went in and did it. The people who were offered crackers were much more likely to actually drink these sort of things. Right. Or indicate that they wanted one at least. Okay. So what if because they didn't add uh, like some kind of something to make them thirsty? They saw less effect with those, that group. It was group design. So they're controlling, they're looking at across each other. Okay. So they had an experimental group where they gave them something salty to make them thirsty and um, a control group where they did not give them something thirsty or something salty to make them thirsty and yeah. saw that they were more likely to be persuaded if they were already thirsty. So we have those two limiting factors of you have to know what it is and you have to be motivated to want it. Correct. Okay. Yes. So. With that, there was a few limitations that they listed. One of them was really interesting, actually. And so, and I, and I get limitations of a study, right? Yeah, all studies have limitations. Yeah. You can't account for every single thing when you're trying to do research. I've been there. And it is so hard to start to pull apart a phenomenon. So I relate to that. But one was like particularly interesting just because of the title and what was claimed to be done in the study. So the first one was that they did not examine how long the effects of subliminal branding priming actually last. That's okay. I get that. That's really hard to measure, um, especially when we always champion, or I do a lot on this. I don't know you believe in it too, Abraham, is the individual level of measurement. This is insane. It's very hard to measure. Yeah, One, so I guess just to reiterate then, they were really only looking at those immediate effects of when they would try and do the subliminal messages and not whether or not it was like you flash this and then the person later is at a gas station and they say, oh, I think I do want that Lipton iced tea now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and one that was like alluded to, but I'd want more information on to really understand like the conditions that I didn't have in there was a limitation listed was participants could not choose between drinks that were actually offered to them. So would that mean that they weren't allowed to choose or they were only offered one at a time? That I don't know. Okay. Like, I don't know. But the fact of like, when you offer someone a drink and it's not just a measure of like how thirsty they perceive themselves to be and they can't choose. It's like, that's kind of like kind of the take home of like the subliminal advertising, right? Originally was like, can we get people to actually increase in sales or consume this stuff? Right. Which means that they are specifically choosing this over other products. And when in a situation they're thirsty, they have access to it. Like, are we actually increasing their seeking this product out by using this uh, subliminal message? Yeah, and so the way they kind of got around this was that they were saying that it's often like these, our attitudes around things are pretty indicative of where we're going to be allocating our time and our behavior in the future. So the authors were looking at basically champion like, oh, their attitudes suggest that they'd be interested in it, and that's been a pretty good predictor. So it's not that big of a limitation that they couldn't choose. 
That but, seems like one. <laughs> yeah. Because you need that, that control where you're, if your experiment is with subliminal messaging, um, then there is a product that doesn't have subliminal messaging. Will they pick the one that you are trying to get them to pick when you have those two options? Um, and it would also be interesting, I think, if you had like where you were trying to get them to select a particular flavor where you had the same product but different flavors. And if you could demonstrate that subliminal messages could influence that level of decision making, like that would be pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't do that comparison, then it's hard to know whether or not anything was there. But I think that they even really admitted that it didn't have much of an effect, no. didn't they? No. Another interesting thing was like, so they, it's alluded in this study, but also in like other areas of pop psychology and like advertising that the brand awareness is kind of important. Like they need to be somewhat aware of it already. But when they, and the study would, would flash differences between like, the difference was like you flash the word drink or flash the word cola. Um, they actually saw no difference in those on it actually like priming the response of drinking cola. Okay. So it kind of goes against what is kind of said to be best practice in this area. If you're trying to do something that apparently already has like weak or limited results. Yeah. Effects. So again, showing that it might have that counter um, productive result of you might, if, if there was an effect or uh, what I'm, what I'm hearing in this is maybe there is an effect where you increase their purchasing of soda, but it doesn't increase the brand that you're promoting. Mm -hmm. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're directly driving your customers towards your competitor. That, yeah. that would be very funny. So I think, uh, I mean, one thing that I, I would say is that un understanding research and psychology, anything that requires deceiving or kind of being deceptive in this sense is hard to pass. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, you have to, whenever you're doing research in psychology, I think that we've talked about this before, but this idea that you have to get approval to do that research. And whenever you're doing research that is, I'm going to deliberately trick people to do something, or I'm going to withhold information, or I'm going to lie to them, the uh, ethics board called the IRB is very hesitant to approve research that involves that level of deception. So it is difficult to have these studies exist at all. Yeah. So, I mean, my hat's off to the researchers studying the topic. Totally. Um, it might have been a little overextended, um, but it's also an area that needs a lot more research. So anyhow, the kind of summary is like there needs to be some sort of motivation there, like the salty sweet near salty foods beforehand, as well as the apparently the brand identification is pretty important. Like you've seen it before, but also it didn't seem to matter. Um, and really, my understanding of this is like the actual effectiveness of this approach is very, very weak at best. Yeah. And so um, we'll get to that. I'll talk about the effectiveness more in, in just a minute. So let's, I think that it'd be good to let's talk about now. We discussed a lot of what it is, given examples, talked about some of the research for it and, you know, examining it. And so let's just ask the straight up the question, does it work? And if it works, how? And if not, why not? Okay. And right. so you're leading this one. Okay. <laughs> I think I've got this. Okay. So let's start with just the question of does it work? So there are people who believe that there's this legitimate effect and what they might do is to convince you that there's a legitimate effect is they'll actually perform some kind of mentalist parlor trick. And so there's these types of magicians that call themselves mentalists. And what they do is they get you to give them an answer that they have already designed for you to give them. Okay. Basically they're going to tell you that they're, um, 
um, they are going to, they're going to tell you to, to think of something and then they're going to guess what you're thinking of. But while they were giving you instructions to think of something, they were dropping a bunch of clues for things that you then might relate to in a way that makes it more likely that they're going to predict what number you're thinking of. Okay. So I'm going to use subliminal messaging to, um, I'm going to guess what you're thinking. Okay. So I just want you to think of a number between one and 10 and see if I can get lucky in guessing that number. Okay. okay. So, uh, were you thinking of seven? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> it works. Uh, and so the idea in that, um, at least in our culture, seven is associated with uh, luck. It's a gambling thing um, for the most part, I think. There's probably other cultural reasons behind it. But um, this this trick is when you say, I'll see if I can get lucky, is, all, is related to this concept of seven. And so even if people don't necessarily hear lucky and think, oh, I'm going to think of seven, um, they're just, it has that association. So they're more likely to have that be the number that they get. And so this is just a parlor trick, though. This isn't actually like really demonstrating how subliminal messaging works. It's just trying to get you sort of believing them and what they're about to try and sell you. So if you look at the good, careful, like well-designed scientific studies around subliminal messaging, um, what they have found, and just to be as straight up about this as possible, is that there can be some small, short-lived, pretty modest possibly just statistically noise uh, effects from subliminal messaging. So the overall question of just does it work, if you can only give a yes, no, the answer is yes. But the with the major caveat in there of, okay, it does work, yeah, a little bit, but it's it's the way that I like to put it is it, it works sometimes for some people under certain circumstances. It's just, you know, it can. For a short period of time. For a short period of time, yeah. Um, so if the if the question of does it work means can it influence behavior yeah a little bit um but uh then we need to understand how okay so we're going to move on with it does work how does it work and so there's an effect in psychology called priming and um priming it basically just goes like this we are always interacting with a lot of variation of sensations okay we have sights that are coming in there's sounds textures flavors smells and even like concepts and ideas are things that are sort of we're always they're going on with us throughout every normal given day of our lives and we're just going to call these stimuli but it's really just things that we're constantly interacting with that being said we're not necessarily always paying close attention to every one of those things even though they are going to have some a little bit of an effect on us you know if you're driving and all of a sudden you notice there's no other sounds on the road you weren't necessarily paying attention to the other driving sounds but now that they're not there you notice the absence of those stimuli it's a similar sort of idea but anyway so um, a lot of these things tend to occur together Right. So if we were in here and all of a sudden I heard the same sounds of someone driving on the freeway, that would be very alarming because we're not on a freeway. And so, um, I, you know, that would, that would really shake things up for me. But, um, on the freeway, I tend to expect a lot of these sounds because they always occur together. When I'm at a coffee shop, I hear the same sort of sounds. When I'm at a bar, you hear the same sort of sounds. When you're in a group of people, you hear the same sort of sounds and not only sounds, but you have the same sort of visuals to go along with those sounds. So in a coffee, like I can smell the coffee. I can hear the sounds of a grinder. I can see what the coffee shop tends to look like. Um, I know what it tastes like. And even I have these sort of ideas about what the coffee is going to taste like. And, you know, I might be thinking about these other people that are in here and say like, you look like you're probably working at a hospital because you're wearing scrubs and you look like you are a rich business guy because you are in a nice suit. And so all of these things are going to occur at the same time. And we learn 
these patterns where these people and these things and these stimuli, these stimuli, they move in these patterns and we come to sort of recognize those patterns based on the fact that they just, they occur together a lot of the time. And we can also learn that some of these things are good and some of these things are bad. And, and we have other, you know, ways of sort of categorizing them besides just good and bad, but that we just have this way of, we tend to expect those things that occur together to occur together. And what happens with priming is that one of those elements of a common group occurs and we're already prepared then to receive or act toward the other things that go with that group. So if all of a sudden I see the sights of a coffee shop, I'm prepared to smell coffee and hear the sounds of a coffee place. And, or alternatively, um, if I were to hear something associated with a coffee place, I might then also be prepared to smell this, the coffee. And this is the whole idea of, you know, if you plug your nose and you bite into an onion, you might say it tastes like an apple or something like that. Um, it's when you get those expectations of what you're prepared to uh, engage with, um, that, that really affects how you then sort of receive it. And that's just because those things all tend to hang together and that sets you up to, um, experience it in a particular way. Sometimes that's referred to as like a semantic network, right? So it's this idea that we have these categorizations of these things that sort of hang together because of their general relation to one another. Um, but I don't want people to be confused about that as like a neural network. So it's not necessarily the same thing. Um, let me rephrase that. These things are related because of our experiences, not necessarily because you have neurology that's just uh, ready to be primed for any particular event. Okay. So going back to this uh, idea of the experiment with Darren Brown, where, um, he had these things that were con that were, he related them together kind of through brute force by having them occur so many times in one single trip. And then he also set up with his expectations. These are the three things you need to have. If he had said, these are three other things that were different from the things he had prepared for, he might've gotten different results. He also showed them. So it, as I said, this is a chain of taxidermy stores. He showed them a giant stuffed bear. Okay. So they ended up drawing a bear. Okay pretty clear. If he had showed them a lion, but he had drawn a bear that he might expect, you know, to see something different. And so all of these things for them kind of hung together. And so it makes sense. But it's important to know that, as I said, we aren't necessarily always paying attention to those things that occur individually. And so what might happen is some of those same sights, sounds, smells, flavors, ideas, whatever, they happen, but they don't happen with the rest of the group. And so we don't necessarily pay attention to the fact that they're there until they're a little bit stronger. And if they're that weak, what we might do is then be prepared to receive the rest of it. And then we are, in a sense primed to um, expect those those things. And therefore, that's what the subliminal messaging is. It's capitalizing on these parts of situations that we're used to, but doing so in a way that we don't necessarily identify that it's there, and then hoping that that will influence us by being prepared to interact with the rest of that experience. So going back to this idea of and like putting sex on things. Okay, so if I can associate sex with this brand, and even if I'm not necessarily thinking all that much about it, the word sex has all of these other sensations, like I'm just going to say sensations that go along with it. <laughs> and therefore, um, that association is now attached to that brand and say, oh, if I like those things, then I'll also like this brand. It's kind of weird, but it's there. Um, it's actually, I think, more clever to use those logos where it's like the arrow and uh, the E and the X meshed together to make that arrow um, indicating this goes fast because that is a lot more in line with like, okay, 
going fast is something as you know I want in my deliveries. So even if I'm not necessarily thinking about that, I might be tempted toward if I want fast, what's the thing I think of that's fast? Oh, um, I'm going to go with FedEx. I don't necessarily know why, but that relation was there. And I'm not actually even saying that that's necessarily how that's going to work for that company, but that's the idea that is trying to be capitalized on in this idea of subliminal messaging. That was a lot of information. Yeah, that was a lot, Abraham. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. So you kind of left a, a thing open for me to kind of segue in that I like, which is uh, can you like program or, you know, capitalize on this and like make it actually happen? Can it's a great question. I don't know if anyone's actually really tried like super systematically. I don't know. Did you come across some research like that? I did not. Um, and the best thing I can kind of think of is like with the like the logo design, like we talked about with the Milwaukee Brewers and those sort of things is. FedEx, all those, like you can plan and design with it in mind, but the degree to which it actually affects behavior, not sure. Yeah. So um, one thing that makes sense in sort of what we've talked about um, before on this show in terms of like instructional design and other things is you can try and tie in more of these um, these stimuli or these sensations, um, you can try and tie in more of those so that it makes it stronger and more likely to influence your behavior. Um, but there's also kind of a question of why do it below someone's threshold, you know? Um, and I think it's just worth asking, you know, what are we really trying to accomplish? And if what we're trying to accomplish is to get someone to, um, purchase their behavior, are we going to be more successful with that by doing this like sneaky than just being upfront about it? And say, I don't know, I, but it seems like there's not that much point of, you know, why try and do this subliminally if we really believe in what we're selling. Maybe it's the thing where it's like you don't believe in what you're selling. So you try and be sneaky about it. I mean, that could be a reason. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. So, all right. I talked a lot about how it works. Let's dig into some of the caveats. What, what do you think? Like what, what should we say is a consideration around this? All right. So for caveats, it's, I think it's important we communicate that the subtle small effects are about the extent of it. About so, the extent of uh, subliminal messaging. Yeah, so we're not going to change any drastic things as to who you're voting for, your diet, your lifestyle. Can advertisers control your mind with subliminal messages? Definitely not. No, <laughs> I didn't think so. Um, there was this interesting other one that was sort of a caveat that the BBC... Um, I think it's British Broadcasting Company is what that stands for, did this study a while back where they told people they were going to try and influence them with subliminal messaging. So it was like a super prime in a way that they were sort of saying, you know, this is going to happen. And what they did is they, they flashed a message on a TV screen during this program television show, and they flashed it really, really fast. You know, again, it's supposed to be just below the level of perceptibility, just below that threshold. And they flashed it 350 times, and the message told them to make a phone call. And then what they did is they just went and looked at the phone records and saw that um, there was no change whatsoever in the phone the phone calls at the time that this happened. Uh, so uh, there was no increase in phone calls, nothing there was just nothing. And what was really interesting too, is then afterward they went and asked people. So they said, we, you know, we were trying to influence you subliminally, uh, just what, what happened, what was your experience? And what some people said is they felt hungry. <laughs> so I guess they felt like they were being, uh, primed for something. They didn't know what, they just assumed it was maybe food related. Yeah. Um, but that's really funny, I think, cause that just speaks to the fact that, um, not only did it not work, but just telling them that they were being primed for something had a totally different effect than what they were trying to do. Yeah. Interesting, right? Um, and I think the biggest one, we've hit this a few times, so we can just come back to it real quick, is that the book, The Hidden Persuaders, Persuaders in 1957, um, 
was talking about this failing PR company who claimed to cause an extreme increase in Coke and popcorn sales by flashing these subliminal messages. But what was the details there? Oh, it was in a movie theater specifically. So uh, the effect. Oh yeah, that uh, huge, but. The truth. Yeah, the the effect that he claimed is that the sales were this huge extreme increase in their sales, and then later admitted that he had just uh, made it all up to try and make his business. His he was in like a PR or advertising business or something, and wanted to make his business look good. Claimed this amazing increase in sales, and of course, anybody's like, "Wow, you can increase sales that much? I will, I will take it. I will hire your company right now." But some more caveats, I think, to this are okay. The major concern that a lot of people have are, are these corporations trying to control our mind and influence our behavior and get us to do these certain things? And we've already said that, first of all, they kind of can't. And second of all, most of them aren't trying to because it's counterproductive. But also, none of them really even take it seriously anymore. And so um, I have this book I was referencing, uh, we can link to, by Scott O'Lillianfeld, Stephen J. Lynn, John Ruscio, and Barry L. Bayerstein. And um, in, in this book, he quotes... Uh, nobody bothers with subliminal messages because it's hard enough to impress people by hitting them upside the head with blatant images. Oh, this is him quoting another advertiser. And so, yeah, even the advertiser is saying, if you really want to influence someone, make it big, get it in their face, like sell your case and make it as obvious as possible. Like don't subtly try and hint at Coca-Cola, poster Coca-Cola on everything, make it just a part of things. Um, and that's how you, how they get those sales. And so um, you make it as inescapable as possible without being obnoxious. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to kind of wrap up, like transition into that, there are some jurisdictions I've heard that are out there that have kind of banned this. Right. So they're so concerned with it. They actually said this is like illegal. Yeah. That's crazy. The, but even measuring that and arguing that, like, come on. That's tough. Well, and then I don't know how you would even know if there were subliminal messages in something if it was supposed to be subliminal and below the threshold of perception. I don't know. Right. So I guess, yeah, to sort of wrap but, all this up. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just like to transition. Like we've been knocking on it, but this priming thing is real, right? Yeah, yeah. The effect is real. Uh, there are a lot of other studies that use priming to study totally different if phenomenon. Um, one, for example, is word choice. Um, which we might talk about at a later time is this idea of, can we predict what someone's going to say based on what they've already said and, or what they're going to say based on what we've said. And so this is also referred to as priming, um, and semantic priming specifically, but yeah, so this is a real effect that does occur. And so, um, yeah, I guess we'll end on that question of, does it work? Uh, sometimes under certain circumstances, very limitedly. (laughs) Yeah. For a short period of time. Short periods of time. Yeah, so it can affect behavior in small, subtle ways, but it cannot significantly impact behavior really in any meaningful ways. So no fear about subliminal messages. Rest assured, you're going to be all right. All right, cool. So I think uh, I think that's all we got. Cool. With that said, this is Ryan O. Abraham, signing out. Peace. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. 
You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brussier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. Thank you.